Hello and welcome to the Taking the Charge podcast with you from Regensburg, Germany. I'm David Hine. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you for finding me. Thank you for your time. I say it every time. I mean it every time. There are so many podcasts out there. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, I think you could probably go and listen to a new podcast every day for a year and, and still not even come close to uh, to... Um, uh, to 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 actually listening to all the podcasts that are out there, and I mean a new basketball podcast every day, uh, and, and you guys are taking your time uh, to listen to this podcast. It's absolutely incredible. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, just um, lots of uh, fun stuff going on uh, right now here in Europe with uh, on the basketball side. Of course, there's a tragedy going on uh, in Ukraine, but I mean you're not uh, here to listen to me talk about that because that's not my thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, just with the data next generation tournaments, you know, boom, boom, week after, uh, week, uh, we have the week off, uh, after next weekend, uh, this weekend obviously is Vereze and then we have a weekend off and then we have Lupriana, which is of course is the, um, the replacement for, for Munich. Uh, but, um, yeah, just so much fun. And, uh, you know, you're gonna, your, the year league uh, final four is coming soon. Uh, listen, if you First of all, if you don't listen to uh, Gone Traveling, uh, go check out the Gone Traveling show here on the Taking the Charge Substack, uh, especially um, the uh, the Euro Cup, um, because we deep dive every week, uh, Antigone Sahari and, and me, about the Euro Cup. The Euro Cup is about to get NCAA style, um, which, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of different formats out there. Uh, with all of these uh, European basketball competition, there's the the you know the BCL went first round, uh, first group stage, and then went best of three uh, series for the second and third of each group, and then went back to another group stage with the top two going to the quarterfinals, which is where we're at now in the quarterfinal stage, uh, best of three quarterfinal stage. Um, Euroleague, of course, have the uh, twenty teams, and you're playing each of them. So you're uh, home and away. So you you're at you're at uh, at thirty eight games, and then top eight uh, go through uh, to the quarterfinals, best of five series. To the the four winners go to the final four. Euro Cup this year to uh, change the format: twenty teams, two groups of ten. Top eight go through to the round of sixteen knockout one and done ncaa bracket style um top top seed in the uh in group a faces eighth seed in group b and so forth to seven and so forth and uh win and go home uh win or go home and uh so we have two more rounds of action uh go check out the gone traveling show with anti anti uh, antigone sahari and me uh, that's right here on the Substack, uh, and uh, you can you can catch it on on iTunes, everything else, uh, because we're getting close. We're getting close. There's only two more rounds of action, and then um, I, I don't have the date in mind, but I think it's somewhere around the 20, uh, 19th of April or somewhere around there is when the uh, round of sixteen starts. And man, it's so it's going to be so great. And 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 uh, you know, there's some there's there's going to be some upsets in that in that in that tournament. I am one hundred percent sure. Um, yeah, so so that's coming up. Um, so that's coming up, and uh, basically, uh, just a great time to be out here, uh, basketball wise. Um, uh, Want to get to the big three? Big three. The the story that I'm watching actually is, you know, with um, with the the war going on is one thing, but um, 
you know, COVID's not done. You know, uh, I haven't been out on the road uh, in two years. February uh, 2020, the Adidas Next Generation Tournament Belgrade was my last tournament I went to. The only game I've been to is actually my uh, my friend's son's U14 game here in Regensburg. That's the only game I've been to since February 2020. Um, and I will be going to the to the uh, EuroLeague Final Four in Belgrade, and uh, I'm actually kind of nervous about it. Um it's not done, and and the reason I say that, and the reason I want to call this the story um, that I'm watching is two pretty high level guy youngsters here in Germany uh, got hit pretty hard with COVID, um, and and um, you know this, and they were double vax, they were boosted, um, and young, uh, healthy, and they both were down for weeks and uh, that just go and, and obviously Bayern you know they this week uh, this coming week is a, a week from hell where they have three early games they had a game on Sunday and then and then uh, no no it's next week next week uh, a game on Sunday up in northern Germany and then go to Turkey uh, Wednesday uh, Monday Wednesday for uh, games against I think Fenerbahce and then is and, and then FS if not the other way around um, but obviously, you know, they hit, uh, they had a big uh, outbreak and, and couldn't, uh, play a bunch of games. Um, Carlson, I think was also in, so it's not done. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, this is, this is something I'm still watching because our numbers here in Germany are, are still going through the roof. I mean, we're still getting, uh, you know, record, record, uh, new cases. Um, and, um, but it's, 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 it's funny because it seems like, um, it seems like it's over and it's not. And so that's kind of the story I'm watching. Uh, youngster, the youngster of the week, um, gotta go with Alexandro, uh, Samaturov, uh, the, uh, 2005 born big man playing for the, uh, next generation team Patras, uh, the, uh, recently, uh, recently signed with Panathinaikos till 2028, um, and he just was, he was the, he was the, the, by far the biggest star the, at the, uh, at Patras. Um, you had Miro Little and, and we're going to actually talk about, uh, we're going to actually talk about, uh, the, the tournament a little bit more with our guest. Um, we have, uh, Rafael Barlow on the show this week and, and we're going to break down the show a little bit more. Uh, but Alexandro, uh, Alexandros, um, uh, Samaturov, uh, definitely the, uh, the youngster of the week uh, for his performance there and uh, confirming a lot what people had said. And uh, so it was, it was pretty exciting to see him. Uh, unfortunately, go, if you look at the numbers, they're, they're, they're impressive, but they're actually more impressive. He only played two minutes and got basically no stats in that last, uh, in that fourth game. And that was kind of disappointing because those stats are going to go down a little bit, which is actually a shame. Uh, but uh, really just... Um, a lot of different things that he could do. And so that was really impressive. Um, event that we're watching, easy. Yeah, just like last week, Adidas Next Generation Tournament Patras. Uh, this is a Next Generation Tournament of Reze. It's a new venue. Um, it's uh, the, you know, there's uh, going to be uh, some some good teams there. Obviously, um, CFPB, you know, the French INSAP is going to be there and that's going to be loaded. And it's going to be exciting. Saragossa's got uh, our, uh, Mara there. Uh, so we're going to get to see a little bit of uh, of maybe some of what 2005 the 2005 generation has in Spain 2005 generation um, uh, 2005 generation uh, France 
uh, because you know those are going to be two of the big Europeans uh, at the at the U uh, seventeen World Cup this this summer. Uh, so that's the turn. That's the event that we're that I'm watching. Um, so those are the big three. Uh, let's get to the interview. Uh, let's get to a sneak peek of our of our taking the charge prospects podcast uh, interview. That it was with um, David Mutaf, uh, 2002 born Turkish uh, guard playing in Gran Canaria in Spain. Uh, I had a chance to talk to him and uh, and uh, this guy that I've seen a couple times the uh, next generation tournament, and I was happy to. Uh, to catch up with him and uh, really a, a, an interesting journey. Uh, first Turk going to the States to play college, not totally out of the ordinary, uh, not a lot of them, uh, but some. Uh, and then uh, him going to Spain, which is something that young Turks just don't do. And so that was pretty cool. Um, so here's my chat. Here's a sneak peek of the uh, podcast uh, of the interview with um, David Mutaf, and we'll catch you on the other side of that. So you decided to say, I can't, I can't, uh, it's, I, it's, it hasn't worked out and, and you decide to go back yeah. to Europe and, and um, you signed, I think it was a, four, a four-year deal. Is that right? With, with Grand Canaria? Yeah, it was two, two plus two. Yeah. Two plus I mean, two. that half, half year. Well, yeah, a year, for... a year, a year and a half plus two probably. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but um, you know, having, having Turkish players go to college, is starting to become a little bit, you know, has been starting to come a little bit more of a thing, you know, not a lot, but there are some, you know, you look at or seven, we really played well, you know, both NC state and Georgetown and, um, and, uh, but, but going to Spain as a youngster, that's not really something that very many Turkish players uh, have, have, you know, sort of uh, taken as a challenge. Mm -hmm. How, how did you, how did you, you know, how did Gran Canaria come up? And then when when it came up, what did you think? And and then what made you in in the end decide? Uh, yeah, this is probably a good. You you mentioned the second team, but maybe just how did it come up? And yeah. and, and 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 everything else uh, about your consideration to go there. Yeah, uh, when I first came back from college in America, and I remember like one month or two months, I was just waiting at home, like you know, practicing. Obviously, it was mid season, and. I was just practicing and waiting for what was going to happen because I still had chance to stay in Fenerbahce at that time, you know, to go back to my club again. And but I still didn't want that to be honest. You know, I I still want was trying to do something else. And I was, the the one month it was just for me mentally it was so tough because I didn't I didn't know what to do, man. Like it just you know you're struggling with when you where you're going to play next, you know. So this, you want to know your future as soon as possible. So you're just waiting and. When I remember my managers was looking for like talking with cl some clubs from uh, Europe, so I remember also Um came up. Uh, they came with came up with Um also. I remember, uh, but it wasn't it wasn't for that season. So I, I I still wanted to play that season. You know, I still wanted to finish that season with some, some club. But when when my manager came with Gran Canaria, they said you can play with the second team. You know, for end of season. You know, and. It will be. It was going to be a great opportunity for me to play still, you know, to not to finish the season that early, you know, in mid-season. And if if I what was going to go to Ulm, I was going to wait until the season finished, and I was not going to play whole year. You know, it was just waste of whole year. So, and when Gran Canaria came up, I was really excited for that. Also, you know, I I knew it was ACB team. They were playing Euroleague maybe four or five years ago. So it was just big club, like you know they have good good organization. 
I heard about them like before because I remember my my brother was playing against them. You know, a couple of AJ Slaughter obviously was a former teammate from Bami too, and DJ Strawberry was playing with them. You know, before in Euroleague time in Besiktas with him. So my brother also texted AJ. So I think I remember like you know when I first signed him. So I I was just really excited to play in ACB. That time Sadec wasn't playing in Barcelona, so we didn't have like ACB players. I don't remember like. I don't think we had a Turkish ACB player at that time. So, no, ACB, I think, one of the best European leagues right now in the Europe. So, no, I, I, didn't want, I just wanted to show myself in the big stage. So, when I signed with Gran Canaria, it was just full mental to stay in ACB, you know, play ACB as a Turkish player. Okay, great. Of course, that is uh, part of the taking the charge Substack paid subscription. With that, you get the the uh, you get all of the interviews uh, from the taking the charge prospects podcast. You also get the full archives of the talking talent podcast, uh, where we have my we have the uh, army of, of of scouts and they come on and talk about prospects. We've been previewing the Adidas Next Generation tournaments. Uh, once these are over. Uh, um, uh, previewing and reviewing, and once the the ANGTs are going to be done, um, going to go a little bit into the uh, into some of these guys in depth. So you get you get some more in depth than that. Um, but paid part of the paid subscription, if you if you feel it's too much, come to me, drop me a message, and and we could talk about it. One thing I forgot uh, to mention. Um, uh, we have the the field is complete for the uh, for the under for the FIBA U eighteen uh, Americas Championship uh, Brazil. Uh, beat Brazil beat Argentina in the uh, in the final and then uh, Ecuador was the third team real surprised that Ecuador made it to the uh, FIBA under 18 Americas uh, even though they've made it now two years in a row uh, two editions uh, in a row um, they were also there in 2018 uh, but Venezuela wasn't there um, Uruguay wasn't there. Venezuela, for example, had uh, Fabricio uh, Pugliati, uh, who was uh, one of the stars for for Stella Azura, who just uh, won the uh, took first place at the Adidas Generation Tournament. Patras, uh, Uruguay, you know, is also a team that has uh, really has more talent than than Ecuador, but Ecuador squeezed out the two victories. Um, so and and got that uh, and got that uh, third third plot third place all right let's get to the interview um it's a guy rising definitely in in the field uh of scouting and uh huge honor for him uh really happy for him uh taking over uh the big board newsletter and podcast from chad ford uh chad ford is really just a you know one of the uh one of the one of the first guys who did the draft and uh nba draft and uh and just uh, was a huge name, and uh, and and uh, Rafael uh, Barlow is uh, is our guest, and he's uh, he took is going to be taking over uh, for for the uh, for Chad Ford, who is uh, retiring, and that that's coming up in uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, so we'll get to talk to uh, to Rafael about uh, his journey, uh, how he scouts, uh, about some of the prospects uh, both here in Europe and then also in uh, in the in the U.S. Um, and also a whole bunch of different stuff. So enjoy this, uh, and, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Thank you again for listening. Uh, totally appreciate your time. Enjoy. All right. So on the show this week, uh, I have uh, Rafael Barlow, the founder of NBA Draft Junkies, and uh, the gentleman we'll be taking over from uh, uh, for the NBA Big Board from Chad Ford, a guy that uh, anybody who knows any, you know about drafts in the NBA. 
uh, knows. And so uh, we actually have the guy who's going to be taking over the newsletter and podcast. Uh, Rafa, thanks for uh, taking some time. Uh, you're over here in Europe uh, with me. Uh, uh, I'm kind of on the continent, not here uh, yeah. in, in the uh, same room or anything. But uh, so uh, good to have you on. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. I've followed you on Twitter for a while now. So um, it's it's an honor to be, to be on your podcast. Wow, I don't know about an honor, but uh, happy to hear. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I just like to be able to I to spread information about young young players that uh, that uh, I I think people should know more about. And and you know, whenever somebody follows me, I'm really happy just because. Uh, it's another person that I've helped get uh, fixed on international basketball. Uh, that's you know kind of like my my mind frame, and so uh, it's it's uh, uh, and 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 you're somebody who you know has 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 really uh, jumped into the into the the, the prospecting uh, spotlight more and more, and that's one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to get you on um, to talk about. Uh, your thoughts on some prospects and also your journey and maybe some, some tips for, for people who kind of watch you and say, mm, I like to do that too. Uh, so like we said, you're over here in Europe and, and, and right now in, in Europe for, uh, for prospects uh, mm-hmm. fans is actually a pretty exciting time. Uh, you were just at the Adidas Next Generation Tournament in Patras. Um, I assume you'll be down in Vereza uh, this coming weekend for the, for the tournament down there. Um, and, uh, so, you know, and obviously, you know, we have, uh, you know, this summer we're going to have, uh, the, the tournaments will be, uh, back up uh, national team, stuff like that. I don't know how much of that you're going to do, but uh, we can kind of maybe talk about that later. Uh, but you know, we were just at, um, you were just at the Padres tournament there in Greece yes. and the big guy that everybody saw was Alexandros, uh, Samantorov, the, uh, who's, who just signed a long-term deal, uh, 16, he'll turn 17, I think in a couple of weeks, um, signed a long-term deal with, uh, the Greek giant, uh, Panathinaikos. Um, you know, who's the big guy there? Uh, and another guy that really impressed a lot of people was, uh, Miro Little, M- Miro Little with, uh, with the, uh, HBA Academy, Helsinki ba- uh, Basketball Academy, uh, which probably has produced, uh, almost all of the, uh, Finnish, uh, players that people uh, will have known. Um, those were the two big guys. Um, I think uh, that uh, that people really should know right away. Um, but but maybe your thoughts about uh, the the tournament in general, and then uh, and then maybe just your opinion a little bit about those guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy the tournament. I one of the things I, I love about this whole scouting experience in Europe is that these tournaments will take me to cities that I've never would have went to on my own. I would never say, Hey, I'm going to go to Patras, but I went and pretty cool city. I mean, of course, you know, it's, it's Greece. So it's going to be beautiful with the, you know, with the islands and the water and the mountains and all that. But overall, I thought the tournament was, I thought it was pretty good. I don't know if there was, I'll say like this. I think there was more talent in Belgrade, the one a few weeks ago, but I thought that uh, Alexandros was, I mean, he was impressive. This was my first time seeing him. And I started to hear about him probably maybe back in January, hearing about there's this kid in, in Greece that didn't really have an opportunity to, um, I guess, make a name for himself because of the COVID summer in, in 2020. So he didn't play on any national teams. And he's just been kind of dominating in, in the region that he's playing in. But check them out. Saying that they 
think that he's the best Greek prospect since Giannis, which, you know, I mean, it's, it's debatable, which, you know, with his new teammate there who just was like the youngest player to score in the EuroLeague. But I was impressed. I mean, the first game, I think he was like nine for 12 from the floor. And I mean, he's just mobile. I think he's what, 6'10". And uh, I mean, I just think that he has a lot of talent and a, a lot of skills that that could end up being developed. And uh, I mean, he just kind of dominated the tournament. I think the, the last game, he probably played like five minutes or something like that. But overall, I shot like 78% from the floor. So I was really impressed with him. And then Mira Little, I uh, I was familiar with him. And it's kind of funny because I, I had a layover in, in Istanbul. And when I was um, on my layover going to Athens, we were all on the same flight. And uh, I mean, everybody had a mask on, so I couldn't really tell who was who in a sense. And then I'm exhausted from my flight and um, just started talking. And then um, he says, oh, yeah, I just he's asked me, where was I from? I told him I came from Dallas, Dallas, Texas. And he's like, oh, I just uh, came from Waco. And then he said he was in the States visiting some schools. And I was like, wait a minute. And I was like, what's your name? And then he told me, I was like, oh, I know who you are. And I said, hey, man, I'm here to scout. And uh, just put on a show for me. Just, you know, give me some content to write about. And he did exactly that. He had a 37-point game against um, the Next Generation team. Double overtime. And, uh, yeah, that was that was one of the best. You know what? That's probably the best game I've been to this season. Now, I was exhausted because I have suffered from a little bit of jet lag. No, but it, it and- was – I mean, I don't know what you've <laughs> seen, but and I've seen quite a few games, and, and it, was, it, was, it was way up there, especially, especially his performance – uh, against yep. a, against a team that had a lot more talent than than what he had uh, uh, working with yeah. him. Yeah, I was tired, but I kept you know it's one of those things where it's a long day, but I'm I'm ready to for the day to end, and the game just would not end. It seemed like it, but it was exciting to you know kind of keep me up, and uh, we went to the free throw line twenty times. And I was just really really impressed with his performance, and um, but overall as a person, just. I mean, just talking to him briefly here and there. Very, very intelligent kid, very respectful. And I mean, I think that his future is bright on or off the court. He's I've just thought that highly of him as a person. And I, and I tweeted out after the game, um, I, I was filming some content and uh, I was just, you know, going to tell him, hey, man, good game. But I had to wait on him because he picked up all the water bottles around the team bench, threw them in the trash and stopped and shook hands and took pictures with everybody before he went to the locker room. I just thought like, man, what a wonderful kid. So, um, but I was, I was impressed with his play overall. Um, where, so when you, um, when you are kind of thinking about, you know, what you want to look at on a particular player, um, maybe, maybe just talk a little bit about your, your scouting process, you know, how, how do you scout, you know, and maybe, maybe, maybe some of the things that you've seen over the, over the years and, and how that process has maybe changed. That's a good question. You know, honestly, I don't even know if I have a real process. It's not like I had like this mentor that taught me how to scout and, you know, kind of took me under their wing. So I just kind of been calmed by my feel. And um, I guess over time, I just kind of developed my own, I guess my own style. And, and usually, I mean, of course I look for projectable size, right? So if a guy is 
a six four dominant center, then it's kind of like, oh yeah, you're scoring ghost points. <laughs> it's going to be hard for you to move up to the next level with that style of play. So of course I look for the size and then um, athleticism skills, and then just overall, like how, how they play. I love guys that play hard. So I just kind of, I, I use my phone and, you know, on my phone, I like, for example, at a next generation tournament, I'll go to the website, I'll, put in the player's name and then sometimes I like to go in it blind not necessarily know who I'm looking for and I'll just like see a guy and you know maybe he'll make an impressive move maybe he'll throw a a left-handed live dribble pass or something like that and I'll just start taking notes like okay who's this and then by the end of the game I just kind of stockpile some notes on, on different guys and then maybe I'll go back and look at the box score and see, okay, all right, well, the box score matched up with what I saw. And then with those tournaments, some, sometimes the team will play twice. And then by the end of the tournament, I usually try to stay and watch every game. I kind of have a, a list of all the guys. And, and um, you know, like sometimes it could change. Like, for example, there was one guy, um, he didn't shoot well. And I thought he had a lot of flash, but no substance. But then by the end of the tournament, I realized, okay, maybe what he had an off game. He, he is a decent shooter. Um, but I just stockpile a bunch of notes in, in my phone. And then, you know, sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes I'm just kind of judging the guy for one game as opposed to three or four. So um, I, I guess that's like my, my strategy in a sense. And then I, another thing is, yeah. I, I'm sorry to cut you off. And then sometimes I, I'll go and then I'll try to project, okay, NBA talent, high-level college player, EuroLeague player, and, um, you know, just kind of guess or, or try to predict where I think their, their best-case scenario is if they maximize all their talent. And then when you – so these guys that you've seen now in, in Patras yep. – your book mm-hmm. is closed on them until you see them again, basically. It's like the, the chapter and then you, you just back when you or you you, you, you go back in and, and see some other highlights or, or you know, you, you watch some highlights of a game that he's playing, you know, if he's in a, in a, in a yearly game, if he happens to play in a yearly game or whatever, it, you know, it's just basically, you know, the 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 the, the notebook reopens and, and you may review then ah, what did he do? Ah, OK, ah, he goes to his left now and stuff like that. So it's basically then next time you yeah. see him, you 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 go back. And and uh, and look and see what he did. Yeah, and it, it depends. Like for example, San Alexandros, for example, I'm going to try to follow him closely throughout his career. And um, but usually, like with these tournaments, it doesn't. It, it ends up helping me years down the line. So for example, I went to the under 18s in 2019, and um, that was a, a very good tournament. Where we've seen, I think, three of those guys are in the NBA right now. But when it came down to draft, actually four, no, it's even maybe five, now that I think about it. But when it came down to them getting drafted, when people in the States were just kind of like, oh my gosh, who's this Alexis Pokasevsky kid? I'm like, I saw him play at the tournament. He had a triple-double and I go into my notes. And then it kind of helps me out in a sense because in this whole podcasting NBA Twitter world from the American side, I'm usually the only person that has seen a kid play live outside of Mike Schmitz or, or whatever. And so yeah. if a person doesn't have synergy and, you know, and they they can't find anything on Pokashevsky at the time. So I ended up 
being able to just kind of describe his game and just go back into my notes. This is what I saw two years ago. Shingun is someone I love looking at my notes because, I mean, I did not see him being the player he is today. He was good then. I just thought he was kind of like this chubby, traditional back-to-the-basket center. And then what do you know? Two years later, he's dribbling the ball up the court and crafty in the low post and passing skills. And, and, and so um, notes also just kind of show their progression too. Um, how did you, how did you get into the international game? I mean, as an American, um, you know, there's, there's not many people that, that, um, you know, that, that find a, the time, uh, to, to go into something different and, and then B have the interests, uh, to, um, to have the extra effort because there's not a lot of games. Uh, I mean, okay. If you have synergy, it's another thing, but, but how did you get into, uh, international basketball, um and and uh you know how did that sort of uh how when and how did that start well exactly like you said not a lot of people are doing it this basketball field is competitive and i figured i right, if i'm an american and i know the international prospects i kind of have an open lane it's not as congested and um and then i lived over in, in europe so 2016-17 season i uh i was doing video work for epe Udo when he played for Fenerbahce and my job that season was to document his entire season on a, on a YouTube channel. Uh, we had a, a, a vlog called Euro angle and he just wanted to, to document like the season and, and just show like the travels. And I remember like writing or, or going to almost every game with, with the team, going to the Acropolis for the first time, filming us at the Acropolis, going to, Egypt during like a break or, or going to Barcelona. And for me, I just fell in love with, with Europe. It wasn't my first time going. And um, actually I'll rewind that for a little bit, how I, it actually got started. Don't want to make this a really long story, but I, I went to Paris with my parents and um, I tweeted, man, I would love to live overseas, not just be a visitor, but I would love to just really be immersed in the culture and I would just absolutely love it. So literally 10 minutes later, I get a text from Epe's agent saying, are you sure about this? And I was like, yeah. He said, you would really like to live in Europe for an entire basketball season. I'm like, of course, that would be like awesome. So he says, I might have something for you. And then the original thing that he wanted me to do didn't end up working out. But then he said, well, hey, Epe wants to document this experience. And, um, you know, would you be, because I'm a videographer. So he's like, would you be open to it. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And then he's like, what else would you do in your time? And I said, well, I want to start an NBA draft website. And at the time, I think that's when draft express had just left for ESPN. Mm -hmm. And there, were, I thought there was a gap in that whole world because they weren't producing the same level of video content as they were when they were draft express. And so I figured I can fill that gap. And then the first tournament I went to, was the under 18s and for whatever reason i forgot what happened that summer but it got pushed back to december that was and the was uh, that in, was the uprising uh the the coup in in turkey okay yep see you you know that that's you know what actually that happened maybe like a few weeks before i was supposed to leave and i remember like my mom and some people were just like why are you going to turkey and mm -hmm. for whatever reasons i was like you know what i'm gonna do it so glad i did it it was, it was life-changing for me so I went to that particular tournament and I didn't have like 
I don't know, I just wanted to do it. And I remember watching Sekou Dembuya and I was thinking like, oh my gosh, this kid is- A couple, couple days I, shy of his uh, 16th birthday. Yeah, and nobody had heard of him. There was like hardly anything on Twitter. And I remember like just kind of taking notes about how, oh my gosh, this kid is so immature. He's in the layup line. He's goofing off. He's not taking it serious. And then it's like, okay, he just got a rebound and he took he took it coast to coast. And he, but he literally just looked like he was just out there having fun and just kind of, then I finally was able to get some information. I'm like, oh, no wonder. He's like 16 years old or 15 at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I remember like, Frank Nilakina was in that tournament, Isaiah Hartenstein, John and Musa. And that's when I was like, okay, this game is really different than it is in the States. And then I was just intrigued with how does this guy project to the NBA? How would he look in high school AAU in the States? How would he look in college? And then I just literally just fell in love with the international game and I stuck with it. And every year I've kind of gotten a little bit better, a better understanding. And, and here I am now. At, I mean, I'm just at, um, I'm in a, a very good space as far as like uh, what I'm doing with, with my basketball career. So long-winded answer, but I just love Europe. And I would say the three things that I enjoy most in life are basketball. I'm a geography nerd and I love like traveling and different cultures. And I love like documenting and creating content. So I'm lucky enough to say that I've been able to combine the three things that I'm most passionate about. And you know, life is good when you're doing what you love. So I say it every, that. I say it every day, you know, uh, I have nothing to complain about. Uh, my, my hobby is my job. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great feeling, you know, you're, I mean, I, I know there's something that a lot of people aspire to do, but I always tell people, man, when you love what you're doing, you don't even know what day it is. My Fridays and my, Mondays and Saturdays, there's no difference. You know, I don't look forward to, oh, I can't wait until Friday, you know? Oh, I hate Mondays. It's, it's all the same to me. And I'm, I'm just very thankful for that. I was kind of, I was kind of scared uh, about this interview because I didn't really know how I wanted to structure it. And, and, and it's actually come uh, because I figured you'd probably give me really good content um, as a person who's, who's media savvy. I, I have, I have this often with people who are really in the media a lot that sometimes podcasts kind of uh, don't go how I kind of think about how they might want to, how, the, how I might want them to go. And, and you said something that I kind of wanted to bring up and, and you said that, you know, how would this guy project in the AAU? How would this guy project in, in high schools? And, and, and I kind of want to bring it, bring it kind of to this point. And, and, and um, how, what do you think about sort of the, the, because you've seen both sides a lot, you know, you've seen a lot in the yeah. States and, and now you've been around for, for, and paid a lot of attention here in, in Europe. L- let's kind of focus on Europe. And I know you probably do a little bit of elsewhere, but you know, most of your stuff is Europe. Um, yeah. What do you think European clubs do different? in their development of players. And then in maybe in that regard, maybe how, how is it, um, what impact does that have or what, what impact um, does it, does, um, is there that these players are, let's call it protected from all of this attention, you know, in the U S if you're, if you're ball and whatever, you know, you're all over, uh, over time um, and you're all over, you um, 
uh, Instagram <laughs> and, yeah. and AAU and everybody knows you and you have this big circle. Anytime you're famous and, and people you know want to get a part of you, you're great, you're great, you're great, you're great. You have all this input. In Europe, it's if you get on one of these prospect boards from Euro hoops um, or, you know, uh, draft, uh, you know, if you're on a, if you're on one of these prospect boards, that's, that's almost the extent of it. Not, not 100%, but that's kind of the, the, the biggest, you know, worry that like a a GM coach could have. What what do you think about what European teams do in their development? And then that impact of not having all of this attention praise also uh, from the outside. Yeah, man, that's a good question. And I feel like I I can give you a good answer because I've seen both of it. I've worked with high-level AU teams in Dallas, and I've seen the negative side of it. And then I've seen European basketball where, you know, like if there's a kid that's the number one player in his class and you go to his Instagram page and he might have 1,200 followers or, you know, you, the number – 100 kid in his uh, high school class in the U.S. may have 30,000 followers. So I think that the European teams, it's all about, I mean, you can even see how it, it, I I was going to say trickle down, but (laughs) how it's similar to the NBA. In Europe, it's all about team basketball, not a lot of individualism, right? So even like with their development, guys develop a team first mindset. In the U.S., it's all individual. Everybody has an individual trainer. And it's almost like you are literally training as if you are a high-volume usage player. Everybody is training, working on their step backs or just creating off the dribble, right? And so – and then, I mean, the U.S. has a culture of I'm looking for the next big thing. So everybody is kind of like building their brand, I mean, I've had parents tell me at, at an early age, I literally had a parent tell me, the kid, my kid is in middle school. I want him to go to college. Can you come create like a little web series or documentary? I want to send it out to colleges so they'll know about him. And I'm thinking like, the kid is like 12. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying like, I, he's 12 years old, but, and, and I get it. You know, a parent may figure like, all right, if they pay me 500 bucks and their kid gets a, scholarship worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, it was well worth the investment, but it's just the mindset is totally different. And, but even like in, in Europe, like think about the NBA stars in that are European from Luca to Jokic to Giannis, those guys care absolutely nothing about marketing or their brands. Like I can't tell you a Luca Doncic commercial that I've seen. Jokic doesn't even have social media. <laughs> just cannot, you know, care less about it. While, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. LeBron or, or, you know, he's everywhere. You know, he's getting, I mean, he probably makes more money off the court than he does on the court because, you know, you want to be marketable. So I said all that to say this, the the European players, it's more of a pure basketball thing. And I can go to like a tournament and watch, you know, like, you know, just an under 18 team. And yeah, I mean, you're going to have your best players there, but it's not all about an individual. And I think guys want to do well, but it's not all about, oh, I haven't had a shot in five possessions. 
and I'm trying to get a scholarship. So let me come down there and, and jack this, this shot up. I want to, you know, score. So I like that aspect of it. But then for me, it kind of helps as a person that is from the States. And I understand like the marketing aspect of it. And I can actually go to a game and see the best player in, in Europe and in this age group. And there's not 30 videographers on the baseline taking pictures and rushing to get the, the dunk on, on social media. So I enjoy that aspect of it. Um, you, 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 you mentioned marketing um, and uh, mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're a videographer. Um, if you, if you worked in marketing for basketball in Europe, EuroLeague, FIBA, FIBA Europe, whatever, what, what would you do to boost the interest um, of, of these guys, um, you know, knowing, knowing how things work in the NBA, you know, NCAA, AAU, um, you know, you've been around and, and, and you consume the media here in, in Europe. What are maybe, maybe what are something that you would do uh, marketing wise to kind of boost things here? You know, I'm torn about that because the lack of marketing in a sense is what makes the game more pure over here. While the overexposure of marketing, I feel like in the NBA, or even let's just talk about on the high school level, makes it more, it just makes it really, really messy in a sense. You know, like people are playing for highlights, Mm. you know, while you don't really see that, that here. So I don't, I don't exactly know the fine line, but if I knew it, I would definitely do it because I feel like, you know, there, there has to be ways to like make basketball bigger in Europe. You know, when I hear stories about the teams are losing money and, you know, I'm an American. So, you know, in America, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. you hear about these teams here that are losing money. And it's like, how are you guys losing money? While, you know, in the States, if the NBA team is losing money, they're cutting, (laughs) they're cutting salaries, so that part is different. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, maybe a little bit of marketing the players. I mean, of course, football. Now that I'm saying football because I'm, I'm in Europe. If I was at home, I'd say soccer. But now that, you know, I mean, football is obviously going to be the biggest sport in the majority of the countries. You may have some countries where basketball is the biggest sport. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would like try to – I mean, that's what I'm kind of trying to do is trying to help market some of the international players to the American audience. So that way, like, I mean, Luca, for example, I was here 16, 17 season. It was the year before his breakout season. But I remember telling people like, this kid is good. Now, I can't say that I saw what, I, what he is now. Yeah. I mean, I thought he was going to be very good. I thought he should have been the number one pick. And then he had that summer, you know, at 17, where he just kind of took like this ridiculous leap. But I feel like, man, I wish I would have been early to that party and created some marketing videos around it. And then just kind of been able to show people that he's he, he can compete with whoever top dog is in, in the States. But I guess a little bit more individual marketing would be the thing, but it's kind of hard because I guess it's just not in the DNA of European players to want to put themselves like up way above the team. 
You know, I feel like in Europe, if you're a Panathinaikos fan, you love Panathinaikos. You may have your favorite player, but you go for the team in the NBA. If you're a LeBron fan, you're a LeBron fan. LeBron can play for the Pistons. He can play for the Thunder. You're just going to follow LeBron everywhere. So I think that's the biggest difference. You, you mentioned you mentioned Luca, and I think um, I think that's kind of um, uh, you know one of the things that I that I said when people asked me about uh, about him was that you know he'll be he'll be uh, if nothing else totally fine um, at the very worst just totally fine because he's already played he had already played two full roughly seventy game seasons. Because they, you know, had long playoff runs. They also went into the to the to the um, uh, to the Euroleague. You know, they won the title the, the year he he went out, um, and um, and 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 he was doing it against uh, against you know the best outside of the NBA, and and so so here comes the question: Is that it's 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 um, one of the things that that people kind of have to think about is when they see an eighteen year old here you know, doing something or a 19 year old or whatever, you know, doing something in the French league or doing something in the German league, you have to think, okay, well, what would it be like if I had a, if we took a, a U.S. kid, you know, just out of high school, you know, senior year high school, you know, be, you know, college freshman, would he be doing that same thing against that level of competition? And that's one of the reasons I also thought, you know, Luca may be that age, but you know, he's already doing it at the highest of highest levels, just outside the NBA. So how, how do you think that, the the scouting of Europe, uh, in particular, has changed. So you've been in it now for you know about five six years. How do you think mm -hmm. of of the scouting of it? You know, also this rel this this recognition of you know just because he's only averaging five points and three rebounds in the Euro Cup, he's only eighteen and he's playing you know against Euro Cup teams. I mean, that's the challenge of. It. I think scouting in Europe is hard. I think it's really hard. Harder than the NBA, simply because, all right, like, for example, you may have a guy that is good enough to make the roster on a EuroLeague team, but he, he might play seven minutes a game. He might not get a shot up, but you have to scout him. Well, at least a 19-year-old in the States, you know that he's playing whatever level he's on. He's probably playing 30 minutes a game. He's probably the star. But that's what intrigues me about, about Europe because sometimes you have a guy, you have to go by his national team numbers in the summer and watching him play with his age group. You got or, a small window. Or, or, and this is one of the things I think is a benefit for, for players in Europe is they have, they, they'll, they'll most likely have a second team where they'll, where they're playing in the second division um, and, and they're getting their, you know, uh, their 35, you know, their 30 minutes where they're allowed to make those mistakes. Like all of these Real Madrid guys, you know, they were playing in the fourth division in Spain, uh, the EBA, which may not sound a lot, but you know, it's a chance for them. You know, they, they work with the, the pro team, but then they go play, um, against the, uh, against, you know, adults, you know, in Germany, for example, the pro a is the second division and you, your club may have a second division team. And so you do have a chance to, to have that second gauge gauge of, 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 of what level that guy might be. Yeah. And I, well, a guy that was tough for me, uh, man, I, I can't think of his name right now. He just signed with the partisan, but he was on real Madrid. Uh, Vucevic, uh, Tristan. Vucevic. So like I couldn't, there was very little film on him. 
So I would try to go to the Real Madrid games early just to watch him work out. I mean, now he's getting some some minutes at Partizan, but that's what makes it more difficult to me is that there just was not a lot of film. I didn't have any film on him playing on any national teams. While I feel like in the States, if he were a projected first-round pick, I mean, there's just tons of film because if he was in college, he's going to be playing a lot of minutes per game. And even now, like even like with the Adidas and Nike AU games, those games are available on, on Synergy. So I think that's what intrigues me about Europe is it's such a, a crapshoot in a sense because, you know, a guy could have very limited minutes. Like if he's valuable enough to where you don't want to have him play too many minutes on the second team because he's a rotation guy, but he's only going to, but he's like the ninth guy on a rotation. He's only playing a little bit of minutes. How do you like really get a, a good gauge? Garuba was, was an example last year. And I, I was big on Garuba, but I felt like even though I thought he was a, a legitimate first round pick, you know, the role that he was playing for Real Madrid was not a role that was going to highlight his strengths. He was just standing in the corner. He was playing defense, but I was able to see him at the under 18s a few years ago to see how dominant he is in his age group. But of course, you know, he has a much, much smaller role when he's playing on Madrid senior team. Yeah. That's one of the, one of the things that, it's also it's also nice to be able to gauge as you know what role the player has over the various yeah lives that they have in their in their tournament the, the, the second team they're a leader the national team you know uh, I mean okay Garuba was 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 uh, was was just otherworldly um, you know I mean he was MVP at the under 16 as a 14 year old triple double in the final so that's just you know I mean it's almost unfair but um yeah. So I want to, um, I want to kind of go back a little bit and um, uh, actually, no, but since, let's stick with Europe one more time. Um, so we do have probably the two European guys that, that you know, um, uh, are probably getting the most attention right now. Uh, you know, Nikola Jovic, you know, obviously people know uh, over at Mega, you know, right now sort of in the mid late teens is where people are projecting him and, um, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of steam right now behind uh, Ismail Kamagate. I know you I know you like him as well, and and you've done a video of him as well with an interview and some highlights and, and whatnot. Um, what do you think about those two guys? Maybe for some people who who hear this and and may not might not have seen them. I I, I assume Kamagate is much more the case for a lot of people. And do you see um, do you see any other uh, Europeans? based in Europe, because there are Europeans over in the States uh, who might get into this draft? Yeah, I think there's quite a few. I mean, I like Jokic. I mean, Jovic. <laughs> it's such a common way to get it mixed up. I like Jovic. I have not seen him live. Um, when I was in Belgrade, I, I, for whatever reason, I didn't realize that um, during that qualifying window that he was he was playing. Um, but I, I like him a lot. I like the versatility. I mean, he's listed at 6'10", and I have a thing for guys that are like 6'10", skilled, whether you can pass the ball, dribble, shoot. He can post up a little bit, and um, I think he's intriguing. I mean, I think there's some concerns because – my well, my biggest concern for him is he goes to a team 
in the NBA and it's not the right fit. You don't give him opportunities to play with the ball in his hands. I mean, that's kind of my issue with Abdia. I don't understand how, like, all right, did you guys watch him at the under-20s? Did you watch him in the playoffs in Maccabi? He's best with the ball in his hands as a playmaker. The shooting was the biggest concern. So, okay, why did you just put him in the corner and (laughs) tell him to shoot threes? And so I think, like, with Jovic, if he ends up in a bad situation like that, then I don't think he's going to look good. I think that his talents – are maximized when he is able to, you know, have some role as a ball handler. But then, you know, in the NBA, do, I mean, is he going to get that opportunity right away? Because he may not, you know, he may play with a ball dominant player, you know, like, you know, with uh, Avdia, he played with Westbrook and, and Bill. So he may not have had those opportunities. So that's kind of my fear for him. So he's going to have to like be more consistent of a shooter. And then maybe once he, you know, gets he's knocking down shots. It will open up things for him as a ball handler. I think Kamagate is probably the safer of the two because at the minimum, he should be able to carve out a role as a, a rim runner guy that plays hard, that's going to finish around the basket off dump offs and vertical lob threat and, and rebound. So I think his job is a little bit easier, but he's shown some flashes of having a little bit more offensive game than he's been able to showcase that Paris basket. So those are the, obviously the top two. Um, coming into the season, I think a lot of people thought Ushman Jang was arguably the best European prospect. He's starting to turn it on a little bit now. Um, six, nine, ball handler. I mean, he he has all the tools that you look for, but he just got off to like a horrendous, horrendous start in, in France. And uh, I'm sorry, not in France, but in um, in New Zealand. I like Hugo Besson. I like him a lot. Uh, I'm a big Spaniolo guy. I like Matteo Spaniolo in Italy. I've had a chance to go watch him play live. That that's another and, thing that you know, like you know, re- these these big clubs do have the option of loaning, and he's obviously a Real Madrid kid who's been loaned to Italy, to to the Italian club. So, yeah, and that's the thing about Europe that I'm starting to figure out is that um, how the whole loan system kind of works, and it's kind like. If I'm not mistaken, Spaniolo, I think he was Stella Azura, and then well, yeah, he was he he came up with Stella, and then uh, and then Real Madrid bought him, and he they took him under contract, and, and then but they loaned him to Real Madrid loaned Cremona. him to, uh, to yeah to Cremona yeah, and then I guess now how long does that does that work like I mean, it's the whole it, season it's the whole season there there's yeah. in spain for example there's the there's loaning where they're then on the team uh for the whole season uh but there's also a linking team this is spain i don't know what it's like in other countries where you have a club you know usually second or third division where you can send i think up to five uh under 18 players and then also whatever three or five uh regular players so if you have a guy who's out who's who's past the youth system so the under 18 in 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 spain under 19 in germany for example you could have you'd have like a link team where uh, this is also uh, this is often where if you don't have a a pro a pro pro b team or second or third division team real madrid's next team is the fourth division so they they these clubs can then send somebody to the second division in in uh um in 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 spain for example and i guess like my question is, 
is that for like as long as the contract, like if the kid is 15 and he signs like a six year deal, they That's, can. That differs. That differs. It, yeah. it, okay. it, it differs in, in the, in the situation that, you know, they also the club, the, the parent club, you know, what they feel like, you know, it, he's, he's two years away from helping us. So we'll send to, we'll send him to someone in four, two years. Um, Bordolani, for example, down at, in, in, um, uh, for the Tudo? Um, no, no. Where is he? he? One of the, one of the Italian BCL clubs. He's, he's mm-hmm. on loan, I think for the third time already, um, from AC from, from Milan. So, um, and that's the kind of the big question, you know, what is, uh, what are they going to do with Bordelani for next season? Is he going to stay with the team or are they going to loan him out again? So, all right, this, this is what I'm trying to figure out. Is it like the G league? Like, for example, if the Dallas Mavericks have a guy and they send him to like the Texas legends, they may tell the legends, Hey, he needs 38 minutes a game. He needs to, we want to see him do this. Because in the G League, you're not supposed to care about winning. It's supposed to be all about developing. Mm-hmm. So I've seen, you know, guys where they're like, okay, we know you can score, but that's not going to be your role in the NBA. So in the G League, you need to get guys involved, work on running a team. This is – use that as your way to, to um, prepare you for your role in the NBA. So in Europe, when they send guys on loan – do they have any kind of control of the development or is it all about the, the team that's loaning them? They just have to fit in that system. I think that also kind of differs. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that the, the parent club talks to the, to the club who's getting them um, and saying, you know, Hey, we really kind of want to work with him on this. It's also a benefit for the, for the, the club where he's on loan to have a guy like that to, to, to in their system. And, and, you know, often it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a coach thing as well. You know, they, they know that the coach, um, like for example, Shagiris will send uh, guys to lead Cabellas uh, mm-hmm. often, or um, uh, who's another, uh, uh, the, the, the Belgian, the Belgian uh, coach at Ostend, um, Georgia uh, get, uh, you know, he's had a lot of uh, loan players. Uh, they had, they had uh, Nakic on loan. They had Silla. Um, I think they had Silla on loan as well. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. a recognition of the coach where the, where he's going and then, and to know that he won't mess them up if you will. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting to me. I've, I've never been able to get a clear cut answer of how the loan works. And if the parent club is controlling the situation, because I mean, obviously the parent club doesn't want to put their, player in a position where he's not developing but then I was trying to figure out like who navigates these deals is it the parent club is it the agent like how does that that all work and so I try to ask as many people as I can and sometimes I get different answers or maybe it's the same answer but just a little bit different theory behind it but I mean that's why I'm out here to to learn more about the game because it's so different than in the states in the states you know of course it's just AU which is more important than high school now AU college pro in Europe is just so many different countries and then you find out that this team holds holds this guy's rights and they can bring them up at any time but it's all interesting to me and that's why I I love it because it's so different than what I'm used to. 
this question actually just came up and, and, um, and you, you mentioned high school, you mentioned AAU and, and high school, I guess there's more States that are getting the shot clock. Um, yeah. which, which still absolutely blows my mind that there's, uh, that there's a, a pretty significant portion of the, the, of the best basketball producing country in the world who don't play with a shot clock. Uh, in their youth levels. Um, and of course the NCAA has, has a 30 second shot clock, which I think they dropped the ball back whenever that was where they, you know, had, they dropped it from 35 to, to 30. If you're going to change it, it used to, to be 45, it. right? I, I want to say at one point it was 45 or 40. Now, now, now you, now you have me questioning. And, and, and I remember that the, the only time I've been to the NCAA tournament was, was the year that in, that in Europe, they they did the offensive rebound reset to, uh, from twenty four to fourteen, and so mm-hmm. I, it was thirty five second shot clock. It used to be thirty five, and it's now 30, 30 in college, and and um, and so I was watching the games in at the NCAA tournament, and and uh, you know your 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 body, your you know your reaction, your you know your anticipation um, of watching games. You know you're like okay, well you know should be getting up a shot soon. You'll look up at the shot clock. And, um, and, and I had been getting used to, you know, shot clock of, of being, you know, 24 and then 14 on the offensive rebound. And, and then, so I look up and I, and I would see that there's still, you know, like 18 seconds left on the shot clock. And then, and then you go through an entire offensive rebound and you have another 35 seconds. So it's absolute. um, uh, so, so, so the, so the, and, and, and again, and, and I guess AAU has some shot clock. Yeah. They have shot clocks in AAU. Well, now what they're doing is. So, like so but, top he, but, but, here, but here the question, here the question. And, and do you think that has any impact? I mean, because, you know, we're, we have like, you know, and, and we'll kind of like move into the college uh, guys in the, in the NBA draft uh, in a couple of minutes. These guys are playing with a 30 second shot clock. And so, they'll, mm-hmm. you know, they've really, unless they played, you know, FIBA tournaments for their national teams or whatever, or their international guys who came up with a, with a, with a shot clock, you know, they've never played with a 24 second shot clock. Do you know anything about like how, 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 how tough that is like in the initial stages of, of getting used to the, the 24 second shot clock? Yeah. I mean, I live in Texas and Texas doesn't have a shot clock. You so um, I've, I've been to like high school playoff games where there was one team, the coach knew that his team wasn't the most talented, but they had like one star player. And if they got up by six, they held the ball. I mean, like the coach was totally fine with winning 33 to 27. <laughs> it was just really, really ugly basketball. And I mean, he, he won, but then it's like, there's no way players want to like go play <laughs> in, in that system because you're not getting any, any, I mean, you're not getting any stats. Um, but yeah, I think guys struggle with it. But I think that they've done a good job in AAU of making, like, trying to get guys prepared for college. So you have the shot clock. But then you, you also see a lot of possessions, especially in states where there is not a shot clock, where, I mean, guys are just don't know what to do with the ball when, when the shot clock gets down to under five and they just kind of throw it to somebody. I mean, you get some pretty ugly possessions, but at least they're starting to prepare guys. For it, but you know the advantage in Europe is you um you know you 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 play with a shot clock. But you got, I mean, I just think like overall European basketball, 
is better in a sense where it may, the talent may not be on the same level as the States, but the coaching is better. The preparation is better. And um, because you actually have to develop and work with your talent in the States, you may have so many options. If the kid is not good, okay, you just cut them. And, and <laughs> that's it. You go find somebody else while, um, you know, you're up there, they're prepared. They understand the shot clock. They understand late clock situations a whole lot better in the States. I don't think they do. To me, college, college as a general, their job is to prepare their young people to become professionals. And you think so in all fields, in all fields. I don't don't know if they do that in the, in college basketball, but that's, that's exactly my point. That's exactly my point Uh, in all professions. You know, yeah. uh, uh, you know, uh, doctor, you know, medicine, uh, accounting, everything, journalism, uh, journalism, <laughs> but they don't do it in basketball because nobody in the world has a doesn't have a 24 second shot clock. And you are in college basketball. You have a 30 second shot clock. So you are not preparing your young people to become professionals in that regard. But I've been on this. Yeah. Ba- I've been on this soapbox with shot clock for 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 many, many years. And so I, I, I just kind of like to, to hear about other people kind of saying, yeah, it doesn't really make sense. And, and and so I guess USA basketball is trying to push a little bit. There are more and more states that do have shot clock at at, at, uh, at the high school level, high school level. Hopefully that that, that changes. Um, I mentioned the, the, the draft and, and let's kind of let's kind of get into that. First of all, uh, congratulations um, on, on taking over, uh, or I guess to be taking over, uh, from, uh, from Chad for the mm-hmm. NBA big board newsletter and podcast. Um, Thank you. and so that, that starts on, on, on April 11th. Um, what, what does it mean to you? What does it mean? I mean, Chad Ford is a huge name in, in the draft yeah. world. Um, and to let's say have his blessing and to give his baby to you that he's had for so long, um, what does, uh, what does that mean to you? Man, it means a lot. It, it really does. Um, I knew about it maybe about four weeks ago, but what I didn't know was, I guess it's almost two weeks ago that he was going to announce it. I, I didn't know when he was actually in Israel and I was back in the state. So we were on totally different time zones and I wake up and I see that he sent me a text and I'm going to announce my retirement today. And I'm just like, oh, my God. So I, I literally get up and go to my computer because he wanted me to send a or just kind of write a letter introducing myself to the people that weren't familiar with me. But right when I was typing the letter, he had already released the tweet. And uh, I mean, I just got hundreds on top of hundreds of, of messages from people that I mean, it was it was good people telling me congratulations people um saying that they think i'll do a good job so at the time i didn't really have any time to really process it because i wanted to like try to reply to everybody tell them thank you i appreciate it and uh, you know i didn't want to just not say anything and then i i I didn't even write the the letter i just turned on the camera and just kind of made a video thanking chad for the opportunity but I don't take it lightly. I mean, he worked for ESPN for 17 years. He's kind of like the pioneer in this whole NBA draft space. And like I mentioned in the video, I mean, there's a lot of people in the world that he could have chosen. And he knows a lot of people. I mean, he's very well connected and he chose me. So it means a lot to me. It um, it's, it's kind of like surreal in a sense. And I'm just now starting to process it. I don't know if it's going to really hit me, hit me until 
you know, April 11th, 11th or whatever. Hand you, the, and hand you the keys. Is there going to be some ceremonial handover or something like that? <laughs> Give you the password. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, but uh, <laughs> of course, like there's pressure because I'm not chat. So the people that are subscribed to it are subscribing for what chat has done. So I know that I, I um, you know, I mean, I think there's going to be some people that, you know, cancel their subscription or whatever. But I feel like I have to kind of overcompensate for not being chat. So I'm going to have to make video content. I'm going to have to, you know, in some ways continue doing what he's doing, but maybe do a little bit more. So what we're going to do, and I don't even know if it's public yet, but I guess I just announced it here. So for NBA Big Board Chad, the podcast, he did it like once a week. And what I'm going to do is take over the podcast also, but it will be like five days a week. So I'll have different guests on and uh, just trying to like kind of overcompensate for Chad being gone because he has such a, a huge following on, on his podcast. And then I'll add my flavor to it. I'm still going to... Um, at my opinion, because one of the things that Chad didn't do a whole lot was use his own opinions for his big boards and mock drafts. He got a lot of his information from talking to different scouts and GMs, which I thought was kind of genius. He kind of gave you like an inside look of the, you know, how a consensus of where NBA teams kind of stood on different players. So I'll do that. I mean, I don't have all the relationships that he has, but I'm starting to build some but I'm still going to use like my own opinion. I'm still going to do things that I've done in the past. You know, um, if I do a scouting report on a player, create some video content that kind of supports what I see. So, I mean, it's, like I said, it's a big challenge, but I'm looking forward to it. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just very, very thankful. Um, I guess the best term that I can use is he threw me an alley-oop and you know, people say, oh, well, man, you know, you earned it. I say, I, yeah, I mean, I ran the floor. That's <laughs> the track record I've, you know, or, or work I've done in the past was me running the floor. And it's like I'm a big and I got rewarded for running the floor with a my point guard threw me an alley and all I have to do is finish it. But to answer your question, I'm very thankful. It means a lot to me. And um, but I don't, I don't think I fully processed it yet. I like that. Feed the big man. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in feed, feed the big man. I don't play enough basketball, but, but I always say if the big man's going to run, you better give it to him, you know, cause yeah. he doesn't have to do it and he wants to do it. <laughs> let him, let him have it. Um, yeah. I felt like he rewarded me for, for running the floor. And I mean, I was shocked, you know, when he called me and told me that he's thinking about retiring and he wanted me to take over. And he was like, are you sure you want to do this? He told me it was a lot of work and I'm just kind of like, yeah. Like, is there any doubt <laughs> that I wouldn't want to do this? Like I'm, I'm open for it. So again, I'm just very, very thankful. And uh, everything will be okay with a, with having a, having a young child then soon. Uh, and, uh, and, and uh, the missus be, everything's okay with that, that, you know, yeah. once, once, once the little one's there, that's going to be something else tugging at your time. So. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, um, you know, the baby will be born in the summer after the draft. <laughs> so yeah. it would have been, it would have been a little, a little tough if, you know, um, but it, right now I think for my, my wife is pregnant. So at the 40 week mark will probably be like the first week of August. Okay. So, okay. so there's good you time. know, yeah, they say usually it's in between 36 and 40 weeks. So um, it, it would be 
it'll be right after the draft, maybe cut in the summer league. I probably will miss out on some of the, the FIBA under 18, or I don't even know. I think it's under 19 this summer. I may miss out on some of those tournaments, but I mean, it's an exciting time in my life. Like, even though this situation with NBA big board is really, really exciting. I'm just counting down the days until, till I, you know, become a father. This is my first child and, and man, I'm just really, really excited, looking forward to it. So I can't wait. Uh, U17 World Cup this year is right uh, at the end of, of June. Uh, no, no, it's beginning of July. I think two to ten, and the under mm-hmm. eighteen, uh, under eighteen is July thirtieth. Um, so okay, I was looking at that. Where is the? Where are they at? Uh, the under seventeen is in Spain in Malaga, and the under okay, under eighteen is. Um, uh, I think it's in Turkey. Uh, where I'm I not saw 100% that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I saw that. I'm not it wasn't sure. In a major city, yeah. Um, I do remember. Konya, Konya was listed, but I, I don't know if that's if that's if that's still happening or, or, or not. I don't know yet. Um, uh, you mentioned you mentioned the big board. Um, let let's mm-hmm. kind of just talk. I don't want to go too much draft because you know you you know people who want to know your you know your draft insight. You know I'll let them go to the big board and 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 and, and whatnot. But maybe just your thoughts about um, you know we talked uh, before that uh, before we, we we started recording that you know it's you're not getting much sleep uh, thanks to the thanks to the uh, to the NCAA tournament taking place in in the middle of the night in the early morning here. Um, so let's kind of go with, uh, the, let's say the big names, whatnot, maybe who do you think, uh, maybe hurt themselves, uh, hurt themselves, help themselves with the, uh, NCAA tournament performance. Um, I know it's not, uh, the end all be all, um, but I know sometimes, uh, some, some NBA people, that is the, one of the few things that NBA people, some decision makers do watch, or at least, you know, take more into account. Um, anybody who, uh, and it doesn't have to be, you know, top three, top four guys, whatever, uh, but who maybe really helped or hurt themselves. Uh, I mean, even though he was at the minimum was going to be a top three pick, I think Van Carroll helped himself. Paolo Van Carroll from Duke. I've been high on him all season long. He's been number one on my big board. So it's kind of like, you know, patting myself on the back in a sense to saying like, yeah, the guy that I've kind of been defending is the last one standing and he's playing well. And some of the concerns that people had him number three or four on the board, he's addressed those. So I think the biggest knock on him was he only shot like in the low thirties from three. I think he's eight of 14 from three so far in four tournament games. And then I felt like he had some passing skills and, and playmaking ability that he wasn't really able to showcase during the season. He's been able to showcase that during the tournament. So I think he's helped himself. Um, trying to think who else has helped himself. I mean, I think Benedict Matherin had the big game against TCU where he may have helped himself, but then he followed up. And that's the thing about so far this tournament, everybody that had like a monster game followed it up with like a terrible game, you know, from, from, uh, Jabari Smith, who was a lot of people thought as the number one guy had a great first game. Then the second game, I think he was like three of 16 or something like that. Um, Chet had a monster first game, which, you know, you kind of expect in a one 16 matchup. I think people were kind of iffy on what he did against Memphis. And then he's gotten foul trouble in a couple of the games. So I think for Chet, if you 
really like Chet. He showed you some things where you're like, okay, he deserves to be the number one pick. If you have a lot of concerns about Chet, about like his his weight, then I mean, there are some issues there that that you can say, see, this is why I don't think he's that good. Then um, the guy that I thought was going to dominate the tournament was uh, Keegan Murray, who was arguably the, the best player in college basketball this season. Iowa lost in the first round, even though they got cheated. I think Johnny Davis, his stock may have kind of dropped a little bit. Um, I, he was dealing with an injury that I think a lot of people haven't taken into account, but I think there's some concerns about like his style of play. Um who else? Jaden Ivy, who I thought had a small, small outside chance of being a number one pick. His last game wasn't that great, but I think he's done enough to where it's not kind of really impact his stock. Ochag Baji from Kansas has been up and down. And it's like I said, it's really weird. Guys have had like good games and then they followed up by like a really, really bad game. And Paolo's been the most consistent. Um. Draft boards, mock drafts, mm-hmm. how do you go about compiling them? Oh, man. You know what? <laughs> I really don't like doing big boards, as crazy <laughs> as it sounds, because, I mean, it's like I can start with one, and then I'm – I mean, I have to do it in pencil because I'm just constantly erasing. Is this guy better than this guy? And then I I do something that's probably a little bit different than most, and I know you're not supposed to do it. But I like to consider team fit, right? I don't want the Orlando Magic taking another guard if they have, like, the fourth pick, you know? (laughs) Like, even though at that point, if you're bad enough to be the fourth pick, and let's say they are number four, I mean, it doesn't make sense to take Jaden Ivey when you just paid Markel Fultz, you just drafted Suggs, you got all these guards. So I like to consider team fit, which people think I'm crazy, but, I mean. To me, it makes sense. To me, it makes sense. yeah, I'm thinking like, all right, if I am the general manager of the team, yes, I want the best player available, but yes, I want, you know, someone that's going going to fit around the players that I already have, or maybe, you know, be, be like my, my franchise guy. So, um, yeah, like my big board, my big boards changed. And so now it's a little bit pressure <laughs> considering that I will be taking over for NBA big board and more people are going to be wanting to pay attention to my big board, and I actually have to start working on that within the within the next couple of days because obviously the season is going to end in a week, and that's now it's just purely draft time. But as far as like my mock drafts, like I said, I do a little bit of fit, but I go by you know by by what I see, which is going to be a little bit different than Chad because like like I said earlier, a lot of his his content is based off of intel. So I'm going to divide it between what I think and then what teams think. And, um, but yeah, I just go by guys that I like and, and I, I'm big on, I'm big on upside. In some cases I am a swing for the fences guy. Like my, my swing for the fences guy this year is Abu Baji. And I've been saying it for like the last two years. I think that he, I mean, I just think freak athlete. What is he like seven foot with like a 40, inch vertical and a seven, nine wingspan. I think the NBA probably is better for him because he just has a more simplified role, run, set screens, block shots, jump to the moon (laughs) and dunk. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's a combination of swing for the fences and what I 
and just kind of just going off my feel. I can't say that I have a really strict rhyme or reason to it. And now you have another dynamic to this whole thing. And we all do. There's more than one way to get to the NBA. Um, actually, I guess there's more than two ways. One of them, I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess there's more than one way. You know, usually it's been NCAA. And now we have um, NBL Australia. You know, we have the overtime elite now, which I think we'll probably get uh, probably have a, a guy, you know, this year, but definitely more who will come through that you know system. And then we also have the, the, the G League Ignite team. Uh, your take on all on, on these these new avenues for kids to to go to get to to the league. Yeah, it's going to be interesting who survives. I think one of them is going to probably fall off. I think that one of them meaning the way the avenue to get there. Yeah, I I think that I don't think you're going to see American kids go to Australia. I think that that window is probably closed especially with the NIL, you know, you can make more money going to college with the name image and likeness. So uh, even though Australia is probably the easiest transition as far as lifestyle and language, it's still so far away. Nobody's going to see you play. And um, I think, yeah, I mean, if kids go, they may be international, but then I also wonder how, the NBL Next Stars program will survive if Usman Jang is not a first-round pick because you can say his stock probably was hurt going to Australia. So, And then with the G League, as of now, as of today, which is March 29th, I don't think they have any high school players signed. I mean, of course, the letter of intent is like a non-binding contract in a sense, so somebody could change their mind. And I believe with um, Daisha Nix a few years ago, he committed to UCLA before changing his mind to go to the G League. But right now, if they don't have anybody, then you have to wonder, like, okay, did the NIL kind of change? It's kind of like I felt like the G League was competing with college. Mm-hmm. Then they dealt college a big blow. And then when college like, okay, we'll come up with the NIL where you can make – I don't know. Well, I mean, I think Jalen Green, they said he made like $500,000. I mean, I think that's probably tough for NIL to compete with. But I mean, you're you're living the college life. You're, you can go to your blue blood school. You can be on TV playing the tournament. So, um, yeah, I, I just don't know. I mean, I, you know, obviously they have Scoot Henderson for who was probably projected to be like the number two pick for next year. But to answer your question. And then I didn't even talk about overtime. I haven't spent a lot of time watching overtime. I believe Montero, Jan Montero, who, who spent some time over in Europe, will, will be a, a first-round pick. But it's very interesting. But I think I just can't see all of them surviving. I think one of them is going to, to kind of fall off. Um, I still prefer college, even though – the G League Ignite, I feel like the system is set up for the guys to succeed because if they don't succeed, then that program is in trouble. And, uh, yeah, so it, it depends. I mean, I think the G League Ignite could have three guys selected in the first round, mm-hmm. but I don't think they're going to have, you know, their top five pick or top ten pick like they had last year. So. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I mean, they're all competing for the same talent. I mean, there's a lot of talent to go around, 
But like I said, I don't think all of them are going to survive. I, I imagine some, the answer will be sort of along the lines of, you know, just be the big man and run the floor uh, for, for, uh, and eventually your point guard is going to feed you the ball. So you're at the beginning, you're, you're still early in your journey. Um, and you know, you've, re- you're, you've received a lot of attention, obviously you received a, a huge boost um, uh, uh, with the, with the move to the big board and taking that over a lot of younger guys out there, you know, out there, Twitter and, and everywhere else, you know, uh, you know, watching you wanting to do what you do, um, become NBA scouts, whatever. Um, what would you suggest to them? Content is key. Content, 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 create your content. Like, you know, your content is your resume, you know? So the way I look at it is if I were trying to apply for a job, you know, an accounting job or something like that, I have to have a resume. Right. I can't just go into Ernst and Young or Pricewaterhouse Coopers and say, hey, I think I'm good at accounting. I have a degree. You got to have like a resume. So I tell people, at least in my observation or my experience, applying for jobs on NBA team line or whatever. Impossible. I mean, I've never seen anybody apply for a job on an NBA team site and get hired. So the the fortunate thing about this era is that you can create your own content as your own live resume. So for me, my initial plan was, all right, I would love to be a scout. I would love to work for a team. I can't like fax in or email them a resume of, you know, like I want to apply for a job as a scout. All right. So I'm just going to use YouTube and Twitter and social media as my resume. All right. You can see the work that I put in. If you go to my website, you can see I've profiled probably hundreds of players and I've spent thousands upon thousands of hours watching film and creating film. So my advice is create content. I mean, there's so many different avenues, whether it's Twitter and you can tweet about prospects all day long. And there are NBA scouts and general managers that are paying attention to social media. I mean, they may not use their real name. It may be dummy accounts, but I've seen guys get jobs based off of social media. But then I also say, got to think outside the box, be different. Like if you're an analytics guy, come up with your own module or formula, try to figure out a way that, separates you from the pack or you know it's kind of like sports know your role kind of know like know know your niche for me is I knew that I wanted to be different I knew that it was I mean competitive field but I'm like all right well I'll when I plan on outworking everybody but two I'm like all right if I go to Europe as an American that knows the international game then that kind of separates me in, in a sense. And maybe not everybody has, you know, is going to be fortunate enough to have like a friend that plays overseas and I could like kind of barter my videography skills to, you know, learn this particular market. But um, yeah, just find something that's different. Like I had someone reach out to me a couple of days ago and they were like, I want to, I want to be on your podcast. Who can I, who can I talk to to have my own show? And I'm like, start your own podcast first. Do your own show, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and for me, I think like the biggest change for me was 2020. You know, the world shut down in 2020. 
and um, I did a podcast. Like it was always on my mind, start a podcast. You know, like you, I feel like you say you started yours in 2013, which is like <laughs> you had to have been one of the first people to have a sports podcast because I remember hearing about it then. But I mean, you were like way ahead of the, the curve in, in 2013. But I started mine in 2020 and I just put out an episode every single day, at least if it wasn't every day, at least five days a week, not knowing that it caught the attention of, I mean, I think at that, of course, at that time, people needed stuff to do. There was nothing. And it caught the attention of a guy named Josh Lloyd, who had a fantasy basketball podcast. And he wanted to project how rookies would be playing in fantasy basketball. And then didn't know that he was over on the Locked On Network and then Locked On uh, the David Locke, the founder of Locked On, heard the podcast and he said, you know, I want to start an NBA draft podcast. And he asked me would I be a part of it. And then from there, uh, talking about international guys, I caught Chad's attention. Chad asked me to be a guest on his show. I was amazed when I got the email. Then he asked me to come on again. And then we did the live draft show. But it all started with me just kind of creating content, creating content, creating content. So Long-winded answer, but anybody that wants to get into sports, content is the key, and you got to think of content as your resume. Um, we've we came, we saw, and enjoyed and loved your league adventures. Uh, we uh, we fell. Uh, we 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 just uh, you know we uh, we valued and appreciated all the work um, for Draft Express. Uh, both of them are are you know kind of on their way out. What about NBA Draft Junkies? Uh, the fans of uh, Draft Junkies are are you going to have any? Are you going to be keep doing it on there? You're going to combo uh, between that and the big board. Uh, is is this does this also mean the end of NBA Draft Junkies? Uh, what's your no, your thoughts? No. On that? <laughs> no, NBA Draft Junkie's my baby. It's something that I started, and uh, I'm not going to uh, let it go. And one of the reasons I, I think the transition is going to be smooth is because I started to run into some issues with, with uh, copyright issues on YouTube. So I had, a, and it's funny, I had a, um, oh man, I can't think of the guy's name. It's the second time that's happened today. The guy that went to Gonzaga, that's um, Serbian, that's playing for Petrosev. Uh, Megas- yes, I, I did a video on him, and some network from Serbia didn't like it, and they reported it to YouTube, and they like they use like sometimes they'll send a copyright thing, but they like totally took the video down and flagged me and told me two more strikes, and they're gonna take my channel away. So it's like a smooth transition to where I can put my videos on NBA big board and I don't have to worry about the, the, um, you know, YouTube copyrights, but I'm going to put original content on NBA draft junkies, the YouTube channel. So for example, while I'm scouting, I'm vlogging. So I have a video from uh, the Bassano tournament under 16 tournament that I'll, I'll put up probably by the time this airs. Then I did a little bit of vlogging and uh, Patras. Then I'm going to have some interviews like I did with Ishmael Kamagate where I'll go and watch some of the international prospects work out and maybe get some interviews. 
And then um, I think I'll probably bring some people on. Like if I can find like some really hungry guys that want to write and cover the draft and, and just kind of give them a platform that I didn't have. Like I had to start my own, but maybe if I can kind of help somebody else out, if they want to write and have different opinions, you know, let them write for NBA draft junkie. So I'm going to keep it alive. And then of course, like with NBA big board, it's, it's like behind the paywall. So people are paying. So people are usually when people pay, they want to hear about the top guys. So I don't know if people are going to pay a monthly subscription to hear me talk about this 15 year old kid in, in Greece who they don't know about until yeah, he gets don't, hot. Don't know about him yet, but it's, it's yeah. yeah. And so uh, I'll use NBA draft junkies as that platform. Maybe I start using it more so for the younger international prospects and just kind of having content on them early and then, you know, once they, you know, blow up and you start hearing about them more on NBA radars, then I kind of transition that over to um, to big cool. boy. But I, I'm, I'm not letting it go. Yeah. Okay. Good to hear. Good to hear. Um, all right. I've taken way too much of your time. Uh, have uh, fully appreciated uh, and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Why don't you let everybody know in case they don't where they can find you, read your stuff, everything else. Uh, this is your platform to, uh, to uh, pimp your platforms. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I know I kind of mentioned at the beginning, but when I first moved to Europe, I was trying to like find people to follow on Twitter to know more about the international game. And you were one of the first follows that that I had. And so um, thank you for in, in inviting me on. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. Anytime you want me on, just let me know. And uh, I'll definitely make time. But yeah, you can find me at Barlow, B-A-R-L-O-W-E 500 on Twitter. My website is NBA Draft Junkies, and then you can find my YouTube videos, same NBA Draft Junkies. And then now with my new title, um, I'm on NBABigBoard.com. So, um, I mean, I, I try to reply to as many messages as I can. And then even if you comment on like a – even as a free subscriber, if you're paid, if you comment on like – a video or an article on um, NBA Big Board, it would go to my email and, I, and I'll respond to that too. So that's where you can reach me at. But once again, thank you for having me on. I really, really am thankful for the opportunity. Gladly. Uh, good luck uh, and uh, enjoy the uh, enjoy the headaches, which is actually what you want with all the draft preparation that's going to be coming up. But uh, enjoy and just keep your mind 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 straight and you'll be you know just, just the, the the just be the big man and and uh and, and do your board and and then they'll feed they'll they'll feed you the uh they'll feed you the alley-oop thank you so much yeah i mean like i said it's it's a lot harder ways to make a living than watching basketball oh, yeah. this was the opportunity that i always wanted and hoped for you know sometimes uh what you hope for and what you kind of pray for sometimes it kind of falls in your lap after you've put in the work and here i am so i mean i'm, I'm ready for it All right, fantastic.